0: I think the most important thing is to do something that you are really interested in because if you're starting it, a lot of things will depend on you. And the key also to MLT is consistency. So we consistently just keep doing uh, stuff that, that we think is exciting and interesting.
1: You're listening to Grady Descent, a show where we learn about making machine learning models work in the real world. I'm your host, Lucas Biwal. Susanna Illich is a founder of MLT, Machine Learning Tokyo, which is a huge community of people working on and learning about deep learning. She's hosted around 100 machine learning related events in the last two and a half years and built an incredible community. I'm super excited to talk to her. Susanna, it's so nice to talk to you. I was really looking forward to this because I see it, that we share at least two interests in common. One seems like the democratization of AI and another is um, edge computing or deploying you know deep learning to hardware. So I'm super excited to hear about Um, what you've been up to. And I thought maybe we'd start with um, Machine Learning Tokyo. Um, You know, I I would love to hear about kind of why you started it and and what it does.
0: Yeah, first of all, thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited. Um, I love weights and biases and I visited um, in SF, so I'm super excited to be on this podcast. So thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, MLT is um, a Japan based uh, nonprofit organization in Ipan and Hojin. And our kind of core mission is to democratize machine learning. So we want to make machine learning and deep learning as accessible as possible to as many people as possible. Because we believe that, um, you know, machine learning is um, going to be everywhere um, it's going to be some standard component in the software stack in, in the very near future so I think a lot of people should know what it is and and be able like to navigate and we mainly do this through um, open education um, through open source so we build a lot of open source projects and open science so we work with universities And yeah we, we're here in Tokyo and we support a research and engineering community of about I think four and a half thousand members.
1: Well, four and a half thousand and so how does it work like how do people join the community and what do they do
0: so it depends like there's many ways how to join the community you can um you know just be an attendee of the meetups or or join a workshops or hands-on sessions and then you can just join meetup and you get all the information you need there on on upcoming sessions but there's also like more active ways to join mlt so if you want to contribute if you want to work on open source or if you want to, for example, hold a workshop or, or lead a study session, um, you can join Slack and you can talk to me. And there's like many ways how to how to be more actively involved in the
1: community. What um inspired you to start MLT?
0: So we started, I think, two and a half years ago, and it was basically just out of our own needs. We were two people. That's how MLT started. Um, and so I'm a domain expert in machine learning. So I come from a very traditional academic background. I'm a... I'm a trained linguist and I was always working with text analysis and NLP. I was using very simple methods and at some point during my master's I was working on sentiment and, and emotion and effect, I realized that these kind of very simple statistical methods give us like some intuition and some insight about a corpus, about a data set. But like language is full of like very complex and very beautiful things. Um, like metaphors and humor and analogies and irony and sarcasm and you know that's not possible to to grasp with those very simple tools so I think three or four years ago I started reading about machine learning and deep learning and neural networks and I got super hooked and I realized okay having learning algorithms having algorithms that learn from data directly instead of um, from rules or, or lexicons might be a way to to understand language better or to to be able to process language um, better. So I started writing my first machine learning code three years ago, but I also realized, whoa, like coming from a different background, it's pretty challenging, it's pretty difficult. And for me back then, I, I knew, okay, I wanna have this collaborative learning environment. I need to be surrounded by people with different backgrounds, um, people that have different skills and know different things than I do. And together, or at least that was, um, that was what I thought, Uh, we could learn faster. And that's exactly what happened. So Yuvraj, my my co-founder is also coming from a different background, from an electrical engineering, hardware background, and he wanted to use machine learning, and he still wants to use uh, it for edge devices, microcontrollers. And yeah, we, we started very small. And we just met every week and wrote machine learning code. And every week, more and more people joined, even though it was kind of word of mouth um and after like a few weeks there were so many people we didn't know where to put them anymore so we met in this open co-working space at yahoo and with too many people so everybody wanted to write machine learning code Um, and then we started like putting out our first meetups and ever since it has been growing pretty fast so we started from very small but kind of you know out of our own need to because in tokyo there was no such thing back then like two and a half years ago there were a lot of communities like great communities But there was no like place to actually build ai there was no place to work on hands-on stuff so that's how it all started
1: that's so cool so you built the community that you wanted to to be a part of that's so great yeah how did you frame it like when you were first um saying hey come join me what what was the the thing to do like it was like let's learn ml together or read papers or how did you think about that
0: So the the very first kind of um, I think first six months or so it was purely dedicated to going through tutorials. So really learning about how to write machine learning code and learning about, you know, getting a conceptual understanding of of different algorithms of the math, but mainly to write code. And that was how how we started is just, you know, um, going through as much stuff as possible. And then once we kind of um, and, you know, the team grew bigger. And more people have joined us. So after six months, it kind of slowly started to broaden. So we did a lot more things. We did. We started doing um, hands-on deep learning workshops in the first year. So we had deep learning engineers who were working as uh, who were working full time at Japanese companies, and they were giving five-hour deep learning workshops where we focus on writing live code from scratch and training a specific model training. I don't know, we we first focused a lot on computer vision. So we went through a lot of um, computer vision stuff and then gradually kind of moved into different areas of machine learning. and like as the community kind of progresses and grows, we, we we see that we go into different directions. So now we have like a computer vision team that, that does CNN architectures and their own little ecosystem. We have a team that is fully dedicated to edge AI, so running deep learning algorithms on, on hardware, on microcontrollers and edge devices. Um, we have an NLP team that does research and natural language processing. So and everything is fully community driven. So there is no full-time employees or anything, it's really how the community evolves and and grows and that kind of
1: broadens into different directions. That's so impressive. So, like, how do you run a good workshop? Like like a five-hour workshop, you know, I've seen really good ones and bad ones. Like, how, how would you do it to make sure that it's a good experience for people?
0: I think it was learning by doing. And in the beginning, we really didn't know what we were doing. So I think two years ago when we held our first deep learning workshops, uh, a lot of things were, pretty difficult and pretty challenging because people come with different machines, uh, with different skill sets with different background knowledge, with different software and hardware. Um, so it was pretty difficult. Um, but we kind of slowly um, we, we got a lot of feedback in the kind of first iterations and worked um, and worked with that feedback. So um, things that made it easier for us is just you know focus on one thing that is really interesting to us where we see value um, that can bring value to us as instructors as deep learning engineers um, as well as to the community so something that is um, very useful the second thing is like make sure that technically everything runs smoothly so we switched i think after a second or third workshop to google Colab. that makes it very easy like to just write code um, and the, there is no like prerequisite except for having a a gmail account but that solves a lot of the technical issues and problems that we had
1: yeah um but does everybody like uh build the same thing together is that how you run it so everyone it's like you get you sort of like like say a problem everybody works together like how, how i guess like how much do you kind of coordinate like everybody doing the exact same thing versus let people going off on their own
0: So it depends what kind of uh, workshop we're doing. So if we have our standard deep learning workshop, there's typically a topic and we already have prepared like a repository. With the model that we're going to build. We sit down with 50 people. We do some theory. So we do first like maybe an hour of conceptual understanding of what is going to happen what we're going to build and then uh, Dimitris, for example, he's like uh, he's live coding from scratch, so he basically walks you through from the very beginning to to getting your your performance metrics. And um, so these these kind of workshops are designed to do exactly this, only this, and people just follow along with the code, and they can live code from scratch. And this is something that people find really useful because, especially like kind of the live coding aspect, because sometimes when you're on your own, um, you look at you know blocks of code and you are kind of trying to figure out what is happening, try to figure out your own thing, but it's useful. If someone um, actually writes code with you and explains what is happening, it's, you, you'll learn just faster probably, or this is at least what I, what I find to be useful. On the other hand, we have much more open sessions. So especially like our hardware sessions where I do edge AI, um, the only thing we provide is, is a ton of hardware. These are typically smaller groups, maybe 20, 25 people. And then people come in, they build teams, they choose their hardware, and they come up with their own idea, and they build their own stuff. And then at the end of the day, each team presents what they have been working on. So it really kind of depends on the session, I guess.
1: Is there like a different kind of culture in Japan than say in San Francisco? Like, are language barriers like an issue at all? Like, like what's it like to be sort of I guess I know what it's like to be in San Francisco, but what do you think that there's big differences coming from Japan?
0: So I don't know San Francisco that well. So I've been just <laughs> <interested laughs> a few times and, and I, I went to a lot of meetups actually and, and they're pretty cool. I think a lot more things are just happening in San Francisco. Um, and I think a lot more things are supported probably in SF. In Japan, uh, language is definitely an issue. It's, it's a huge barrier. It is something that I've been constantly thinking about uh, in Japan, there are amazing communities in machine learning. There is um, there are two super big uh, machine learning communities: the TensorFlow user group, um, that is very related, of course, like to Google, and then uh, DeepLab, which is I think affiliated with Microsoft. So Those guys are very big, and they're very very Japanese. Uh, so everything is in is in Japanese. And then there's us. I think we're like similar in size. We're English speaking and Yeah, this is like one thing that has been bothering me so much because um, I'm always trying to find ways how to, you know, not have these isolated uh, communities. So this is a challenge in Japan. This is definitely a challenge and we're working on it. Um, But other than that, you see that communities are growing and that there is a huge demand also for machine learning talent. So apart from the kind of very Japan specific problems like language barriers, I think it's a pretty, pretty good and active environment to be in.
1: Yeah, I remember I I went to Japan last year and I've Mm -hmm. I've worked off and on with Japan as a market and I've always been impressed by how excited people are about, um, you know, machine learning, even going back like 10, 15 years, um, it seemed like there was a lot of enthusiasm um, for it. And actually, Mm -hmm. I've I've been kind of wrestling, I, I just would like to find a way to translate our documentation into Japanese and kind of keep it up to date. Um, yeah, so I've been thinking about that lately. Um,
0: yeah, I think that would be a good move. We were also like only focusing on English, but there needs to be like this bridge and we need to start somewhere. So we also started translating. We we worked with a T.A. from Stanford. To translate their um, CS deep learning course material or course notes into Japanese to make it more accessible to people and have like bilingual kind of resources for people. So we're trying also very hard kind of to include as many people as possible.
1: That's awesome.
2: Hi, we'd love to take a moment to tell you guys about Weights and Biases. Weights and Biases is a tool that helps you track and visualize every detail of your machine learning models. We help you debug your machine learning models in real time, collaborate easily, and advance the state of the art in machine learning. You can integrate weights and biases into your models with just a few lines of code. With hyperparameter sweeps, you can find the best set of hyperparameters for your models automatically. You can also track and compare how many GPU resources your models are using. With one line of code, you can visualize model predictions in form of images, videos, audio, plotly charts, molecular data, segmentation maps, and 3D point clouds. You can save everything you need to reproduce your models, days, weeks, or even months after training. Finally, with reports, you can make your models come alive. Reports are like blog posts, in which your readers can interact with your model metrics and predictions. Reports serve as a centralized repository of metrics, predictions, hyperparameter tried, and accompanying notes. All of this together gives you a bird's eye view of your machine learning workflow. You can use reports to share your model insights, keep your team on the same page, and collaborate effectively remotely. I'll leave a link in the show notes below to help you get started. And now let's get back to the episode.
1: I mean when you think about sort of democratization of AI what else do you think is important like how do you how do you think about that?
0: Maybe this is because of my personal background because I am a domain expert but I also um, see like how important machine learning is and is going to be in the in the future in the near future. If possible we should have as many people uh, as possible involved in even technical stuff so um, there have been like a lot of democratization efforts. If you look at H2O, for example, with, um, with AutoML, like making it really very easy to, to experiment, but also other, of course, like AutoML platforms from, from tech giants. For us, it's like a lot of education that we do. Um, we work with a lot of universities. So something that I kind of personally like doing is working with research scientists or students, coming from different backgrounds. So I think it's machine learning could be super useful for people that work with a lot of data. And we worked with with a lot of um, super interesting people. Um, for example, last year in summer, I think we were at the Tokyo Institute of Technology where we held a two day bootcamp for ELSI. ELSI is the Earth Life Sciences Institute. And those guys are amazing. They're um, astrophysicists, they're planetary sciences, computational biologists, chemists like, you know, mind blowing stuff. And we had a room full of people and they, they all work with different kinds of data sets and problem sets, mm-hmm. and with different tools and techniques, and machine learning could be one way for them like to get new insights and maybe even to advance science. So, so these kinds of things are, I think, for me personally, super exciting. Um, getting like more domain experts involved into technical stuff. Um, doing open education, doing open science. This has been, yeah, pretty, pretty interesting.
1: What about um, people without kind of like a math or um, programming background? Do you think there's like room for them to contribute too?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think so. Um, You know, there are Jeremy Howard and, and Rachel, they've been doing like the best job ever into getting domain experts uh, on board, right? Uh, you do have to have some coding background. So you you should be able to write some Python code. But going through fast AI courses, for example, um, it's a it's a more top down approach. And they're exactly democratizing machine learning or making it uncool by having so much more people just involved. And this top down approach Um, allows you to get into deep learning without having to have a PhD at Stanford in computer science or or like a really strong math background. Um, You build stuff. So you start with thinking about your problem and your data and to build stuff. And then afterwards, you you start digging deeper into the math, for example, that you might need uh, for your particular project or problem. Uh, and I think I really like this kind of approach. Um, that's that's very similar to what we've been doing uh, with MLT as well. Uh, even though we we also do um, a lot of like fundamental work, so we also have like study sessions for for machine learning math and other things. But I think there's definitely room for people who are coming from different backgrounds. And I think they if they if they find it even potentially useful, they should look into it.
1: What a, I mean, you've probably seen people go from kind of novices to um, knowing a lot about ML and people ask me all the time, kind of, how do I um, get into this stuff? Do you, do you like have any advice from the data that you're seeing on, you know, what folks should do if, if you have no background and you really want to um, go deep on this stuff?
0: Yeah, for sure. So I think two things are super important. The first thing is, like, don't neglect your background. Don't think that you have to start over from zero, and you have you you don't know anything before that. Leverage your background, leverage your experience, your professional experience, your academic background, whatever you whatever it is that you have been working on in the past years. Leverage that. It's the same. Um, I, there are many examples for that. For example, you could be a hardware engineer, and you know a lot about hardware. Um, And now you're getting into machine learning and deep learning. Now leverage that background and that expertise and learn about machine learning and how to combine these two things. In my case, it's language. So I've studied language as a system for many, many years, and I use machine learning and the combination of language and machine learning to kind of bring uh, maybe um, interesting and unique insights to the particular uh, projects that I'm working on, I talked to a recruiter here in Japan and I asked him, so what does the market need? And he said, well, it's here in Japan, it's not enough uh, just to know deep learning. You have to have some sort of specialization. You have to have some sort of uh, domain expertise, some like way how you can use this kind of deep learning uh, in combination with something else. It could be software engineering, it could be hardware, it could be language, it could be anything. So this is the one thing, and the second thing is when you're coming from a different background and you want to go into machine learning. um, There's, of course, like two approaches. Uh, Either you, you start with the fundamentals, you start with math, or you do what I just earlier mentioned top down. You start with a project and you just write code, build that project, and then figure out details later. And I think the most important thing here is to figure out what is interesting to you what would be something that really kind of catches your attention and you love working on and uh, make that decision and then start working on that because the problem here is that there are too many options you could you could do too many things everything seems to be interesting but if you spend a little time here a little time there you will get maybe you know some shallow understanding of a few things but you'll not advance as quickly as you might want so figure out what you want to do and leverage your background is probably my advice.
1: Do you have a, um, do you think that you see people being more successful kind of starting from the fundamentals or starting with a project? Cause you mentioned those are sort of two different approaches and yeah. people gravitate towards one or the other. Do you, do you have a preference or can can both work?
0: Both can definitely work. I think uh, we were just like only talking about domain experts and, and people coming from different backgrounds. But of course, I think what the what the what the research, what academia and industry needs um, just as much or even more is people with very very strong CS backgrounds, with very strong math backgrounds that know how to uh, optimize and know how to work on theoretical things. So so I'm not saying like this is uh, not important, not at all. I think of course this is still the norm and this is what uh, probably employers want to see the most um and if you're if you're coming from a strong cs or math background i think you you already have a strong foundation to to go very deep into machine learning and deep learning uh but i just want to say like there's room for for other people as well
1: okay so this is a little bit outside of the scope maybe of a ml podcast but i'm just fascinated by this so um (laughs) or maybe it is what about the the starting a community like do you have advice on someone in an area like you where they want to find like-minded people. I mean, do you have any, any advice on that? Like if I'm in a city where I, there isn't already um, like an ML group, how would you go about finding people?
0: Yeah. And like so many people write me messages on that. They're in oh, some, really? like, yeah, yeah. That's so great. They're e- either in remote areas or in cities where like literally something like a machine learning community still doesn't exist. And I would really suggest, uh, I would always say like, go for it. If there is no such thing out there, be the first one to do it because MLT has like evolved into an amazing community. Like I'm like literally, I'm amazed by how active and how engaged the communities and all those guys, they have, they have full time jobs, but they still find kind of time to um work on open source and to teach other people and to do these kinds of workshops. So it's, it's pretty amazing. So I would really kind of suggest to, to think about starting a community wherever you are. Do you,
1: you have any practical uh, tips for getting it off the ground? Because it, it seems kind of daunting to me to, to try to start that and keep people engaged. How do you get people to keep talking?
0: I think the most important thing is to do something that you are really interested in, because if you're starting it, a lot of things will depend on you. And the key is, I think somebody wrote it on Twitter recently. The key also to M.L.T. is consistency. So we consistently just keep doing uh, stuff that that we think is exciting and interesting. So start from what you're interested in. Start from your own um, problem set or or um, from your own need, and more people will follow. And then, like more practical things. Um, you know, there's always the thing, we started doing remote meetups, so that there that, that is not the kind of burden of having to find a venue and a sponsor and other things. So this is an option how to kick things off, to, to find more people who are interested, um, that makes it very easy. Like make, there's no easier way probably than to start like remote meetups. On the other hand, if you want to start something in your city, you, you might want to check out like, first of all, like form a small peer group around yourself and kind of try to figure out what you want to do and then start to look for a physical place and figure out if you want to do hands-on stuff if you want to do like more educational stuff learn together and get it out there like try to reach as many people as possible and I think you know I just yesterday I talked to someone a journalist and he said to me wow, there's no such thing for writers out there. I want to start something for writers out there. And I think it's kind of the same thing, right? There is a need for all these niche groups and, and, um, and communities. So um, I think if you get it out there and if you do things that you're very passionate about, people will follow.
1: Do you have any thoughts on um, like diversity and, and inclusion in ML and in these groups that, that you create? Do, is that something that is top of mind for you?
0: Yeah, that's something that is very important to us. Luckily, with within M L T, we're we're very diverse kind of four and a half thousand people in terms of, you know, countries and languages and skill sets and backgrounds and professional experiences. So this is really uh, super diverse but women are super underrepresented. I think two years ago, when we started on working on on deep learning workshops, we had 60 engineers and I was the only woman. So uh, I realized, okay, yeah. So we really needed to do something about that. So we're doing like very specific, not only events, but also projects that support diversity and inclusion. We do a lot of women in machine learning events that are supported by Google Japan, Mercury and other companies. Um, We also do projects that I just earlier mentioned where we had one of them was we had about 12 bilingual engineers that worked on translating some of the Stanford course notes into Japanese and having this kind of bilingual resources for people just to be more inclusive in general. um, Also to the Japanese community because we are literally in Japan and we are very diverse, but it still kind of seems like there's a disconnect between between a Japanese community and and, a, and an English speaking community, mm-hmm. and I think it has never been more important. We all know like tech in general is multidisciplinary. Uh, machine learning should be as well multidisciplinary. We need people with different skills, with different expertise,s we need um, people with different backgrounds in general. So this is something we all have to work on. I think.
1: Do you have any uh, other suggestions for making a community feel more inclusive?
0: so in in our core team we decided very early on that we we want to create an environment that is very collaborative and that is very inclusive that means that we really want to don't have this as as kind of this elite math machine learning group we want to include as many people as possible and um, we want to have like decision processes, uh, we want to have the community involved in, in like what directions we take, what kind of um, what kind of things we're, we're tackling on next. And we do like every project that we do in every workshop and every study session, we kind of have that sort of mindset. So when you look at our math sessions, so last year we started doing remote math reading sessions. So we're going through um, uh, a book, um, that walks you through um, some machine learning math. And the, so more than 1000 people signed up from all over the world. Awesome. So we have sessions in, in, in the Bay Area, we have sessions in India, in APAC, here in Japan. And um, the thing is, it is very inclusive because the sessions, the people uh, that join those sessions, their levels of math are very different. So we have complete beginners. We have people that are coming from completely different backgrounds. But in our Tokyo sessions, we also have mathematicians. We have experts, we have PhDs in math, uh, people that have taught math for many years. And it's it's pretty amazing, like it's a very interactive, after the reading, it's a very interactive discussion where people ask all sorts of questions and together we kind of, brainstorm around things and try to, our, our experts like Emil and Jason, they try to explain uh, mathematical concepts. And it's been pretty amazing. So I think really having this mindset, whatever you do, um, that you need this, it's not like, it's something that is actually enriching whatever you do is something that is very important. And having that mindset is probably going to help a lot.
1: That's super cool. That sounds really fun. It is. (laughs) (laughs) I'd love to. It's been
0: pretty fun. Yeah, yeah. It's been pretty good.
1: What is something underrated maybe in machine learning that you think people don't pay enough attention to?
0: I think something still underrated in machine learning uh, is data. Um, (laughs) Still? Oh, my God. (laughs) Yeah, I think so. Like, it doesn't matter who I talk to. It's like always, I feel like there's um, this kind of... uh, it's a troublesome thing to do, right. You don't want to work with data. You want to, you know, write machine learning algorithms. You want to train models. You want to get good accuracy and, and push accuracy or, or metric. It's not about data. So data is kind of the least that people think about sometimes, uh, or this is at least uh, kind of my uh, my understanding of it. And I think we should definitely think more about data and put, put more emphasis on data. Um, Maybe this is also because of my own background, because I've been working with data um, pretty much all my uh, all my career and just three years ago started working with machine learning algorithms. But um, yeah, it all starts with data and it all probably ends with data. I think Chip Huynh just mentioned recently who who owns the data pipeline will own the machine learning in production or the machine learning system. I guess. Uh, I don't know if it's still that case. Maybe in SF, maybe in the Bay Area, people think more about data. I don't know.
1: I don't know. I mean, I, um, I think my background (laughs) is similar to yours. And so I, I I feel like data is so unbelievably important, I guess it's it's not possible for it to be properly rated for its uh, contribution to ML. Cool. And then when you think about like kind of making machine learning work in the real world for like real applications, Mm -hmm. um, what's like the the hardest part about getting it to work? Uh,
0: So in our case, we love to experiment with new things. And I think Um, you know it's difficult when you're trying new things you kind of need to figure out a lot of stuff and generally I think in in production environments there's a lot of experimenting um, and try to see what works so making a production pipeline work and and deploying machine learning for different use cases has different challenges from from data um, all the way to software engineering to monitoring uh, your model, like how, how it changes in, in different real-world scenarios. So I think we need to, even though like things are taking off, uh, there's still like a lot, lot of room like to work on these kind of things, infrastructure things, deployment things, finding new use cases, finding use cases that make a lot of sense for, for machine learning. At the same time, I think this is super exciting. So this is something that, that really kind of excites me probably the most. Uh, is thinking about use cases and trying, you know, experimenting a lot and trying new things. Um, we don't work, like at MLT, we're, we're not working on, uh, we do work on production things as well, but it's not our main thing. Our main thing is just trying out new things, experimenting and make, make POCs. So um, we don't actually deploy a lot of things on large scale to production. So maybe I can't talk about like the, the main challenges here. But what I can say is that, that we, we try, like, if we take um, Edge, for example, we're trying out a lot of things. We're working with different hardware. We're, we're trying to think about different use cases where these things can be deployed. And, like, a lot of things you know, just don't work out and uh, fail but that's totally fine. That's, that's good as well. This is something that we kind of also need to grow and to figure out things. But then at the same time, we also build things that work and that are super interesting. So yeah, it's a lot of experimenting, I guess. Yeah.
1: Makes sense. Okay. So my final question, (laughs) um, if I um, am listening to you talk and I get excited about, um, you know, joining one of your Mm -hmm. virtual events or something, how do I find out more and how do I, get more involved with MLT. Can, can I do that remotely?
0: Yes, you can, definitely. So we do, uh, as I mentioned earlier, like on Meetup, you can find all of our events and a lot of them are actually remote. So um, if you want like to to be part of an event or a Meetup or something like that, you can just um, join Meetup and we'll, we'll post everything there. There's also more active things. So if you would like to work on open source or, or doing some other things, um, or get more involved in general, you can join our Slack group. Um, there's um, pretty much the whole community there talking about different things. So in more technical depth, so you can also find people there to work on projects and do other things. And so these are kind of the main two things, the meetup for, for events and maybe Slack for, for projects and other stuff.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much. It was great to talk with you.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me.